Hi there. Welcome to Green Queen in Conversation, a podcast about the food and climate story. I'm Sonali Figueres, your host and the founder and editor-in-chief of Green Queen Media, where I lead all of our food and climate reporting. I'm excited to kick off this new podcast series exploring cultivated meat, a future food technology on a mission to produce animal protein sustainably. For the show's first season, we're talking to the titans of the industry, the OGs, if you will, and asking the hard questions about one of the most exciting food and climate innovations of our time. In this episode, I speak to Didier Tubia, co-founder and CEO of Aleph Farms, a cultivated meat company based in Israel. Didier cuts a very unique figure in this space. The conversation was a real eye-opener about his background and how he started working with food and development agencies in Africa and how that informed his worldview about food systems, equity, and food justice, and how in turn that led him to start a cultivated meat company specialized in beefsteak, which he believes will help right the wrongs inherent in our food system. He is so passionate about ensuring access to safe, traceable, and nutritious food for everyone, not just for those of us in the wealthier countries. So I think our conversation is quite different from the other interviews in the series. I found it really inspiring, and particularly as DDA has had many careers in his life, from food and development to biotech to deep tech. I'm sure you'll find our chat fascinating too. Enjoy the show. Hi, Didier. It's really great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sonali. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you're a key part of the cultivated meat story globally. And uh, I really want to explore the LF journey. Um, so my first question is really around how did your cultivated meat experience begin? Is this something that you, you know, when did you first discover cultivated meat and how did you end up with one of the first companies in the space? I think that the origins of my interest in cultivated meat are probably back uh, 25 years. Actually, when, when I studied the food engineering and, um, and biology at the time in France, um, I studied a, a major and actually full last year of a, a master degree in the south of uh, France um, and getting deeper into uh, food technologies for the developing world. Um, I started my career for a short period of time in uh, Western Africa in Ivory Coast with the IFC, um, a, a branch of the World Bank. And my goal was really to tackle the, the inherent issues of the food system, um, especially malnutrition and uh, food security issues, um, starting in, in Africa. And I realized relatively quickly that the, those uh, challenges are can't be addressed by targeted action and that are really uh, systemic issues of wrong allocation of resources and um, and uh, um, um, and uh, uh, issues associated with the, the distribution of, uh, of resources rather than uh, actions we can uh, tackle and, uh, and solve with the, with the focused initiatives. And, and actually, back uh, to Aleph Farms uh, 20, 25 years later, my main motivation is really to address exactly those um, uh, systemic issues with the food system, the roots 
of uh, the reasons why um, we have those issues, both in terms of uh, sustainability, food security, public health, not um, in Africa, but on the global level. And actually, it's very much um, overlapping, meaning the, a lot of the, um, um, the issues I've seen at the time um, in Africa, we see today um, on the global level. Uh, so it's a really um, kind of closing uh, the loop for me and uh, connecting a lot of dots with uh, my early experience in the food system, uh, but also with um, my over 10 years of experience in the biomedical industry uh, following uh, me coming to Israel. As Ala Farms is also at the crossroads between uh, the biomedical world and the food system. So that's really, really interesting and really, really different than I would say a lot of the other founders in the space. So not so much the climate connection, but for you, it's the food security and the nutrition piece of the puzzle. But at the same point in time, it's interesting because when people think of going to Africa and dealing with systemic issues around malnutrition, you know, they wouldn't immediately associate you know, cultivated meat in bioreactors as a solution. The African, the, the problems that African nations can face. Mm -hmm. um, how, how, how do you bridge the two there? I mean, because cultivated meat is an expensive, you know, high tech, tech technology that still requires decades of, of work before we can scale it to a mass level. Yeah, it, it's true. It's a long-term play. Um, I would argue that uh, today the food system is not intended to to feed the people. During the course of uh, um, the industrialization of our food system, uh, starting with the 50s, 60s, um, and the, the next uh, uh, few decades, the focus has been put on uh, efficiencies and um, an output, meaning producing more food at a lower cost um, and uh, large companies, large industrial companies developing and making more profit. Um, the, I, I think that the, the fact that today um, we're throwing away close to 30% of our food while uh, close to uh, 900 million people don't have enough food for a living is uh, really a um, a testimonial that the, the current food system is not designed to bring the right amount of nutrition to the right people at the right time and in the right place. And, and I think cultivated meat with this respect can help decentralizing the, the food production. One of the big issues with our food system today, uh, beyond the focus on profit, is also um, that it's super concentrated. Um, if, if in the history we used to rely on six to seven thousand different sources of food. Today, I believe that uh, five different species and um, eight uh, different crops are making uh, over 70% of uh, the food we consume globally. And, and the system is not just concentrated in few species, it's also concentrated in specific areas of the world. If we're talking about beef, for instance, it's primarily um, North America, Latin America, um, Australia, New Zealand, and a little bit in Europe. Um, and a lot of countries are importing the, the beef in Israel, for instance, where the company started, we import 88% of our beef. Uh, and it's a, a shared challenge with uh, all the countries in the Middle East. And we see the same pattern in uh, um, many parts of Asia, including in Singapore, uh, where we import 
technically 100% of our beef. Um, and cultivated meat um, can help decentralizing the production of food um, because we can grow cells. I'll explain in a minute a little bit what we do and how that, that fits into this vision, but the, we can grow cells in a closed system independently to the climate or to the, um, the local availability of land and water, meaning that we can um, um, distribute the, the production of uh, high-quality animal uh, nutrition um, both empowering the local communities and diversifying the supply and substituting for part of the imports, but also making sure that we make the food system more resilient and by, by diversifying the supply of uh, animal protein and fats, we build uh, what we call circuit breakers and bee plants and we make uh, the system more resilient to shocks. So we do see um, cell, cellular agriculture as a cornerstone of uh, um, um, more secure and resilient food system. And, and regarding your comment about uh, the cost of cultivated meat, it's clear that it's a long play. Um, I think that uh, you know cultivated meat is probably similar to solar panels, let's say, which are very much uh, um, uh, very expensive 20 years ago. And uh, uh, 20 years later, the, the production cost went down as uh, economies of scale started to, to play. Um, production processes and, and product technologies have been uh, improved. We believe that it's clear that for the next uh, few years, cultivated meat will be more confined in the developed world, but we're developing a long-term um, strategy for the Global South, and that's one of the projects we've done with the Wharton recently in the US, for instance. And I'm actually um, planning to travel to um, Ethiopia in the next uh, couple of months to further explore the possibilities. We believe that in Africa, where there is today a strong um, pressure for intensifying the, um, the um, uh, cattle uh, farming. Today, Africa, same as you know, many parts in India and in, in Asia, rely on uh, smallholder farms. There's a strong right. pressure for um, intensifying the, the farming of animals to make the system supposedly more uh, resilient and uh, um, more efficient. Um, we, we all know that uh, industrial um, agriculture is not a good solution. We're pushing back from uh, intensive agriculture in the developed world, you know, back to regenerative egg and uh, organic food. And so I think that um, cultivating cells might be a way to skip this uh, intermediate phase of uh, um, animal farming industrialization and keep the smallholder farms as they are and supplement them directly with the uh, growing cells. A little bit like uh, some countries have skipped the phase of uh, landline phones, for instance. Right. Um, in Africa, mm -hmm. in uh, some parts of, uh, of uh, India, India mm -hmm. China. Um, I think that um, bringing cells to the global south can help um, um, moving directly to cellular agriculture and skip this intermediate phase of uh, intensive industrial animal farming, which is bad for everyone. Same as countries went directly to cellular phone and, and skipped the uh, landline um, intermediate step. Yeah, I, I love the vision. Um, I do have to ask why beef then? You know, why, why not chicken? I mean, beef is currently one of the most, if not the most expensive meat in the world. It has a status as something very elite, very wealth associated with wealth and higher status. 
why start with steak even and not even ground beef you, you're going with steak which is the ultimate luxury elite food or meat mm -hmm. that's an important question and the the product strategy we're implementing at elephants rely relies on a um, on one hand um, high impact and second hand uh, high value products and i want to explain why and this is why beef uh, fits into the um, into our roadmap. Uh, first, we believe that the the bigger contribution to cultivated meat uh, will be where um, where we have real challenges with the uh, um, animal protein and fat production. And uh, if we're talking about the concentration of the food system, uh, cattle farming is the um, the uh, most uh, concentrated of all the animal production uh, and practices. Beyond that, it's also the biggest impact on climate. Um, as you know, livestock mm -hmm. production is responsible for about 15% of the global emissions and, and cows specifically for approximately half of that, about 8%, according to the FAO. Uh, while the environmental impact of chicken is much lower, um, and when we're talking about the use of land and water, which are also critical uh, parameters today, as you know, we, we're, we're uh, um, causing land erosion. For the last uh, 50 years, we, we lost 30% of our arable land mm -hmm. since after Second uh, World War. Second World War. Um, and uh, um, the 42% uh, of the crops we harvest every year in the world and are intended for animal feed, primarily uh, cattle and, uh, and cows. And the intensive um, uh, monoculture of soy and maize is one of the primary drivers of deforestation and the uh, loss of soil quality. And um, beyond that, uh, um, uh, the amount of water required to make uh, uh, one kilogram of beef varies between uh, uh, 1,500 and uh, 10,000 liters, depending on the farming practices. Um, and, and we might have 40% um, less fresh water in the next few decades. So th there are some real issues associated with beef, which we don't see uh, with the other species today. Mm -hmm. um, the, the issues where they are um, and, and drive a bigger impact. Um, if we're talking about um, the contribution of growing cells, so w when we farm cells, we need exactly the amount of uh, um, nutrients, water, energy to make the edible part of the animal. Um, using renewable energies, we're able to reduce the environmental impact by 92%. I mean, the greenhouse gas, uh, gases emitted. We can also reduce the amount of land um, by, uh, by 95% and the amount of water by 78%. Uh, when we're talking about cultivated beef, and I think it would be difficult to um, document uh, clear-cut benefits for um, cultivated chicken versus industrial chicken production, uh, as long as uh, um, climate and environmental uh, parameters are, um, are concerned. So this is one. Second, because, um, you know, as we said before, originally cultivated meat will be relatively expensive. Um, I talked about uh, solar panels, but we can also talk about uh, electric vehicles as, a, as an analogy. Uh, innovation is expensive today, and I think there is a, an inherent conflict within the world food tech um, 
tech is associated with innovation and, and is expensive and food is a, a commodity is a, a low price not you know biomedical products and or you know or a, a high margin products so we we really want uh, as we get into the market and drive initial acceptance to rely on, on products where we can bring value so that um, we can uh, reach prosperity quicker and build a sustainable business model over the long term. Uh, when, when you are talking about prosperity, it's not a, an absolute value. It's, it's relative. It's priority to something. It's relative to the equivalent product um, produced with conventional egg. Um, and, and when we're talking about a beef steak price point, which is maybe 10 times higher than a, a ground chicken, it's a, a easier to get to the, um, to the same price point as our cost curve um, uh, is uh, driven down than to get to the price point of uh, ground chicken, uh, which makes actually the, the whole business model uh, more sustainable and, and enables us uh, to really drive more impact over time. So the, the focus on beef is, is uh, driven by two decisions. One, to focus on value mm -hmm. products and where we can really um, bring benefit and, and the documented real environmental impact. And second, um, uh, based on um, the, you know, higher value and, and higher margins, we can drive earlier on to make sure that we, we can be sustainable as a company as we drive the cost down and progressively move toward the mainstream, we'll probably make a, a cultivated chicken, cultivated pork down the road, uh, but it will take a few years. So very much, even though it's counterintuitive, it makes the most sense to, to attack the beef problem because of its climate footprint. Um, and it makes the most sense to go with steak because it allows for early adopters to get involved and for you to become financially viable. So it's very much, very much the Tesla model in many ways, um, right? Yes, I think that that's, that's how Tesla has been able to drive this transition toward electric vehicles. Right. They haven't been the first to make electric cars, obviously. There right. are electric cars in, since the 70s in the US, but they've been the first to crack the code of the right product strategy. Um, and I think that right. if we talk about Tesla, it's not just starting high end and then moving um, mass market as they drive the cost down, which is what we just discussed uh, we are doing. But it's also about differentiating their products versus uh, internal combustion engine cars. This is also very much um, connected to um, our approach for going to market. We're not trying to to copy one to one an existing cut of uh, um, of uh, uh, beef, uh, we're not trying to be um, an exact, uh, uh, you know, kind of replicate of uh, tenderloin or uh, ribeye, but rather, um, rather uh, developing um, our own set of attributes and our own value proposition and differentiating ourselves versus conventional meat, so that our products can be successful based on what they are and not as a copy of anything, which is not a good uh, marketing strategy. Okay, and I, I want to get into your product strategy in a second, but since we've been talking about, you know, your vision and, you know, how you started, I want to ask you, you've been doing this for a few years now. Um, has the industry progressed enough? And do you, timeline-wise, feel you are where you want to be, where you thought you were going to be? Um, yeah, I'll start with the second question. When we raised the round A, 
2019. Um, we built a business plan uh, in 2018, meaning five years ago. And uh, five years ago, we said that we would be in the market by the end of 2022. We're currently in the, on track for launching uh, Q4 this year. Um, so we're probably six to nine months late, uh, delayed versus our initial plan. I think that for um, such an innovative product and uh, um, the level of uncertainty we had at the time, we had to invent everything from scratch. Um, I think that six to nine month delay within five years is 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 okay. And so overall, in terms of timelines, we we weren't far off. I think we're overall, you know, making progress according to our plans. Okay. So you, you yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much on track-ish. Yeah. I, I, th I think it is. I think we're we're on on track. Uh, uh, plus minus, you know, twenty percent, uh, which you know, startups right. is uh, is kind of uh, the um, the range of. Uh, um, uh, the the order of uh, uh, magnitude of uh, uh, uncertainty, but so we're on track overall. I think that the industry as a whole has made a lot of progress. When we started, cultivated meat was completely theoretical. It 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 sounds like uh, uh, it sounded like sci-fi. I think that today, um, you know. Four or five companies in the space, including Alephants, have already, you know, developed scalable processes and have done a lot of work on uh, cost reduction and have already built um, uh, facilities where they can uh, make cultivated meat at a, uh, you know, commercial level and uh, uh, are able to comply with all the regulatory um, requirements. Um, so I think that uh, um, it, when, when we're looking uh, five years back, um, uh, we can really um, appreciate the, the the progress which has been made, which is phenomenal. I'm not saying that we solved all the issues and that you know everything is perfect. There, there's still work yeah. ahead of us to continue and scale up and, uh, and meet uh, uh, consumer the consumer expectations, um, move toward the mainstream. Um, but but I think let's say on the Technology side, scientific side, uh, process development, um, um, early industrialization, uh, regulatory uh, uh, compliance. I think we, we, we we've made a huge um, uh, leapfrog, and uh, I'm quite uh, happy to see that uh, you know the industry is really on the verge of uh, going to market and starting driving initial acceptance. Well, that's that's good to hear. I'm very optimistic. I love it. I like it. I want to ask a couple of follow-up questions. One is, of course, part of your timeline constraints are around regulatory approval. And currently, that's only really happened for Eat Just in Singapore for their, 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 a few of their chicken products. So I, I want to understand, you say you plan to launch Q4. Um, is that going to be in Singapore? And are you, are you very confident on the regulatory approval side? And what about regulatory approval in your home country of Israel? Yes, um, Alephans uh, decided to focus first on the Middle East and Asia for the same reasons of uh, food security we mentioned before. I think that the, there is a more need for cultivated meat in, uh, in those uh, geographies rather than in the US or in Europe. And we really want again to address real issues um, and drive a real impact. 
uh, we filed our um, uh, regulatory applications in uh, both uh, Israel and Singapore last year. I, I can't really share exact details where we stand right now, but um, we believe there are um, reasonable chances we can be cleared in one of those countries at least uh, in the next few months and launch um, uh, after the summer. Um, we, we do believe that uh, Asia will be an important uh, market for us uh, moving forward. And when we're looking at, uh, let's say, 10 years ahead, most of the population of the world is based in Asia, and the the increase in meat consumption, that the the growth engine for meat consumption really relies in Asia. And uh, while the consumers are also very open to uh, novel foods, and uh, the public-private partnership we're talking about is is really working very well. And um, I think that, there, that there's a lot of um, a lot of alignment between the different stakeholders in the um, animal protein and fat industry in, in uh, many Asian regions, same as in the Middle East, to really push innovation and new production systems, which can help uh, gaining more food sovereignty. Um, in Europe and in the US, I think that there is a strong political will to drive innovation. In my views. We, we do see, you know, especially in the last uh, six, nine months, as cultivated meat is getting closer to the market, uh, more uh, um, uh, interest uh, associated with the conventional um, agriculture lobbies, which are trying to, to delay um, the, the launch of uh, cultivated meat. And I think that the, the, the internal alignment between all the stakeholders in uh, in Europe and in the US will take more time just because traditionally those uh, um, geographies are very strong in conventional agriculture and a lot of uh, livestock farmers don't yet understand exactly what we do and uh, feel that cultivated meat could be a threat which we don't see in Asia nor in the Middle East of course because cattle production is very limited and they don't have land i think i think the land issue is and then the water exactly exactly we we overlook the importance of land on our planet many times uh, yeah we rely on the land uh, to as a species absolutely i mean let's let's talk let's since you brought it up and you brought back kind of this blowback, this pushback that we're seeing in uh, in Western markets, especially in North America and Europe, where there are strong, you know, beef farmer identities associated with national cultures. Um, let's dive into this kind of perception that is coming up in the media and across even social media and just culturally, you know, that cultivated meat is, you know, some kind of Franken food, some kind of, it, it's, you know, it's, it's too tech, it's not food enough. There seems to be, uh, for some people, a bias uh, against it. And, and, and I want to ask you, how do you think about this around consumer perception? And, and what do you think that the average person is getting wrong about the science of cultivated meat? Yeah, I think that there are two, um, well, it's a big question. Okay, I would like to give three answers. One, which is more related to um, conventional agriculture and, uh, and why there is a misperception um, around uh, cultivated meat uh, and maybe on the consumer side as well. First, you know, we do see cells and cellular agriculture as a third pillar of uh, animal-based um, agriculture. 
same as we started eating meat 2.4 million years ago and, and meat became widespread 600, 700, 1,000 years ago when we started cooking the meat. Um, and then many, many, many years afterwards, uh, when we domesticated animals, uh, we were able to milk cows and, uh, and goats and, um, uh, and sheep and, um, and drink milk and, and uh, eat uh, dairy products, which was a kind of a completely new um, source of animal-based product at the time. Uh, it was weird, you know, we're the only um, species which is drinking milk of another species. And drinking milk was very weird um, when we started, and, and today it's really part of the, um, of the food culture. Uh, we do see today, you know, a third source of uh, um, animal-based products, which is cells. And same as milk uh, has been introduced to the, to the diet a um, long time ago, six, seven, thousand years ago, um, we're today witnessing um, a third source of, of food, which is, which is cells. And, and same as milk, it's not, it's not exactly meat. Cells are not exactly milk, neither. Or true, they, are, they probably have more similarities with the milk than they have with meat. Um, and those cells have uh, the benefit of uh, uh, providing an additional um, uh, source, an additional choice for um, animal-based products, which can release a little bit of the pressure on conventional agriculture for uh, raising and farming whole animals. We, we've reached, we've actually passed, and <laughs> technically, the maximum scale um, we, which makes sense in terms of uh, farming whole animals, farming cows. We have too many cows today. Um, and the impact is huge. Now, if we can introduce in the food system cells um, which do not require the farming the whole animal, we can reduce the amount of animals and, and better manage them in the framework of regenerative egg and sustainable farming practices and still complement them with a, um, additional, an additional source of animal-based products to, to make sure that we, we have more choices and, and we can still meet the demand, the increasing demand for animal proteins and fats. So this is the way we look at uh, cells. Um, and we call it cellular agriculture because we believe that same as milk has incorporated the agricultural ecosystem, we believe cells will as well. So we, we do see cells as an opportunity for agriculture as an additional revenue stream, an additional um, 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 practice which can uh, complement um, sustainably um, produced uh, meat and dairy. So just to be clear, you're saying that eventually you're imagining a system where farmers, meat cattle farmers, are able to make money by, by selling cells to cultivated meat companies. They, they, have, they have to make money with the sales, of course. If not, it won't work. You know, at the end of the day, if, if, if we don't find the right business model working at Alephans actively, we, we just started uh, last year a global research with the Federation University in Australia to develop different uh, business models for incorporating sales into conven conventional farms in different parts of the world because the, the, the business structure and the uh, farming practices of uh, of farmers change a lot, vary a lot between uh, different geographies, right? In in India, the yeah. US, Europe, it it works differently. We 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 need to find the way to incorporate um, cells into agriculture. It will not work otherwise. 
So that that's that's for sure. Um, and I think there's sometimes a misperception that sales can be a threat yeah. on agriculture, where we do see it as a as a solution um, for an inclusive and a just transition. Um, you know, I, I grew up in France, for instance. France has been traditionally a very um, big beef producer, the, the largest beef producer in Europe and an exporter of beef. In the last few years, France became an, a net importer of beef and the number of heads is uh, going down every year by 2.5% in average. Um, 53% of the farms are bankrupted and uh, maintained in activity um, artificially by subsidies. Mm-hmm. The average age of the farmers of the, the livestock farmers is close to 60 years old. In less than 10 years, more than half of the livestock farmers will be retired. So we, the, the current system does not work as it is. So, you see, so if we can incorporate innovation and uh, um, direct part of the subsidies toward the training and uh, investment in, uh, in research and uh, um, building uh, capacities for other sources of animal-based food, we can drive an inclusive transition for the benefit of all the stakeholders. But that's one topic, which is, uh, you know, the 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 kind of uh, lack of understanding of of what cellular agriculture is, which is sometimes causing some pushbacks, which are also driven by a lot of financial interests. You know, the the conventional agriculture uh, players are are really. Um, benefiting from a, um, tens of billions of dollars of subsidies. So there, there are a lot of financial interests in the current system and very strong globies which are motivated by those financial interests um, not to change anything. Um, but that's not how we can prepare for the future. Okay, so that's one thing. So when we're talking about the consumers, I think that the, again, if we're talking about uh, um, cultivated meat as our first application of the cells. You know, cells are a platform, in our views, like milk. We can do a thousand different products for milk. So we, we can make cultivated meat from cells and, and the range of other products. At Aleph Farms, we publish some of our uh, other products we make from the cells, like collagen, and, but we, we have a few other ones. So we're not a cultivated meat company, we're a cellular egg company, and, and, and uh, our Aleph cuts are really the first uh, application of the cells. So when we're talking about cells, that there is a misperception, misperception that cells are, um, are processed food, which is not the case. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I mean, what, what we do is uh, instead of farming big animals like cows, we farm small animals like cells. Cells are, are the building blocks of... Um, of life and building blocks of, of the animals, the cows, we're able to isolate cells from a healthy animal to fully test them for a, a, you know, a safety and to nurture the cells to feed them in a controlled environment. Same as animals are fed and nurtured in a, in a coral or a meadow um, to make food and to make high quality um, animal products. So technically we farm cells instead of farming animals. And all cells at Aleph Farms, at least, are not genetically engineered and not immortalized, meaning we really stick to the natural genetic material of the cells. We also um, follow the same um, processes and, and the same stations, if you'd like, for uh, cells proliferation and maturation as in nature. So technically, we do what uh, um, 
animal domestication is doing. We replicate a natural process under a controlled environment for granting a better access to high quality nutrition with more predictability and more control. Um, so our cells are not processed. Um, and again, we can turn those cells into a range of different products. Um, uh, so I, I can't say that you know any cell-based product will not be processed in the future, but the, the source we're using the cells by themselves is not processed. Actually, when, when we grow cells in a, in a growth medium, uh, which is the, the, the feedstock for the, for, the, for the cells, we're using an, an animal component-free growth medium, meaning we feed our cells without any animal input, and the cells come from animals. When we make yogurt, for instance, or fermented or cultured milk, um, we, we also uh, grow cells in a medium, uh, in yogurt, for instance, the cells are non-animal, they are usually bacteria, and uh, the growth medium is animal-based, it's milk. In our case, it's the opposite, meaning that what we do when, when, we, when we cultivate our cells, we do the same thing as when we make yogurt, but the other way around. In our case, the cells are animal-based and the growth medium is animal-free, instead of milk and yogurt, where the, you, you got my point. So technically... That's very helpful analogy. Growing cells is, is not more processed than making a yogurt, which is considered an unprocessed food. Um, and and this uh, this uh, misperception, which is many times um, arising from uh, the many plant-based products out there, which are considered ultra-processed and not healthy. Right. So there's kind of analogy people are making in their mind with the uh, uh, cells and cultivated meat, which is which is a, a wrong uh, a preconceived idea. Right. People do often confuse plant-based meat and cultivated meat. It's true, and and of course that's because all of these technologies are lumped under one umbrella. Right. I think for most people, change is difficult and new technologies are complicated. But but that's a very helpful analogy. Um, the yogurt the yogurt comparison. Um, did you did you have a third part that you wanted to share? Yes, I wanted to say that um, as uh, as we discussed before, we don't think animal agriculture will disappear in uh, uh, ten or twenty years. Uh, and I know that um, a lot of uh, vegan activists would like us to say that you know we'll disrupt uh, conventional agriculture, um, and the, the few plant based companies actually claim this type of um, of claims and I think it's it's a mistake to say that because if we're talking about regenerative egg and as you understand we have a strong focus on uh, uh, climate and food security at other farms we do need animals much less than what we have today and better managed but animals have a role in regenerating the soils also have a role in uh, organic um, uh, farming um, and are many times associated especially uh, in the countryside or in the global south with uh, um, some uh, social bonds and uh, um, economic value in a certain parts of the world. You know, that we, we don't want, as I said before, you know, when we're talking about Africa, I don't, I don't think we want to replace smallholder farms in Africa. Um, the, the cows have a very important uh, uh, social and economic role there uh, for many, many uh, uh, families. Uh, we need to respect that. Um, I think that cultivated meat as an application of cells should be a complement 
and a, a driver of a transition toward less cause and better managed. And by, by the time we understand that, um, people are looking at uh, cultivated meat as, um, from a completely different angle, and not necessarily as a, as a threat or as a, uh, wow, who are those guys who are trying to replace the food I like, but rather as, a, as an additional choice for the diner. Right. And, and it opens a lot of possibilities. Absolutely. Instead of an alternative, it's an add. It's an added yeah, option. At, at Elephants, we're talking about complementary proteins instead of alternative proteins. I think alternative proteins doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I wrote a, I wrote a piece saying exactly that. I think we made a mistake with the name of the, of the sector. But I want to come back to what you just said about the, the vegan question. Because as you might be aware, for some founders in this space, the vegan question is very much at the heart of what they are doing. And I, for you, that the ethical part about consuming animals is not, that's not at the heart of, of your mission here. I want to expand here. I have a big issue with the, the industrialization of animal farming. You know, when right. we, you know, I grew up in France 50 years ago when uh, uh, in the village uh, people slaughtered the pig, it was a, a ceremony. It was on, on the main um, square in the, in the village or, or circle and, and people were coming and there was, there was a real ceremony for, for slaughtering the animal and a real um, relationship to the animal and, and value for the life of the animals. Um, and I think that, um, in my views, um, honestly, I, I don't have any inherent issue with eating animals as long as, as long as we realize that it, you know, a cow has given its life to bring this steak in 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 our plate. And I think that today there is a disconnection between meat and the life of the animal behind it. When we industrial and well, when we industrialize animal agriculture and turn animals into machines to make to make meat um, and raise them um, and slaughter them, such as uh, same as uh, um, would uh, um, make cookies in a, in a plant, meaning without any um, respect for the animal, th that that causes a lot of discomfort with me. Um, so. To, to your point regarding slaughtering animals, um, I would say that I have I have an issue with um, the dehumanization or let's say the um, the objectization. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right term, but to, turning animals into objects is the exploitation of an animal, especially especially not giving the respect to the animal and and not valuing its life. I think it. A mm -hmm. big issue associated with the, the industrialization. You know, when you slaughter animals in a in a factory, in a high speed production chain, I think it's a big issue. It's it's a big ethical issue, big ethical issue, and that's that's why we believe that if we can relieve the pressure on farming big animals and by farming small animals like cells, we can revert. We can return to more extensive regenerative um, farming practices with higher animal welfare um, and, and connect back to the animals as our grandparents were. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting though because you keep referring to regenerative agriculture and organic agriculture, and you know what we see in in the media and in the kind of bigger mainstream conversation is that a lot of regenerative beef folks are very against cultivated meat. But but I think and I think you've covered a lot of why that is and and entrenched interest and kind of a misunderstanding of the role of cellular agriculture in the industry. But but it is interesting because because from where I'm sitting reporting on the space, there does seem to be this kind of very big split between the regenerative people and then cultivated meat as a food technology. Mm -hmm. I think we've we've had a really interesting conversation, but I want to keep going on two two things. One, um, I want to talk a little bit about the role of a big food in your company because you know if I look at Aleph's journey, you have managed to sign collaborative agreements or partnerships or you know retain as investors some some really big names um, in big industry and big food. I mean, I'm thinking of BRF in Brazil and Thai Union and Mitsubishi and. Um, so I want to ask you, are these partnerships that you are going out to look for, or are these companies approaching you? And how do you navigate working with companies that are, you know, on some level upholding the status quo, which as you described yourself is, is problematic and not, not protected against the future. Uh -huh. Yeah. So first we, um, we're working only with the corporations which uh, go through a very uh, thorough and strict uh, due diligence by elephants um, on ESG parameters, environmental, social, and governance. So we pick very carefully the corporations we're working with uh, based on the alignment of uh, values and vision. That's important to, to understand. Second, um, we keep our full independency. We, we don't grant any rights on our IP. We don't have any commitments to change anything, you know, um, roadmap, uh, uh, vision, plans um, uh, to accommodate um, any uh, requirements from those companies. So we, we, we remain fully independent. Not of those companies are um, having a, a seat at our board uh, of directors, for instance. So we, we remain fully independent. We're working with those companies, but uh, um, that they, they don't influence um, or uh, impact or internal decision process. And third, the reason why we believe it's important to have them involved is that because same as renewable energy, for instance, which today you know is driven primarily by the big energy companies, um, you know the NG, uh, uh, Enel, and others uh, were traditionally um, oil-based uh, companies. Um, actually, by the time they switched toward renewable and were instrumental in driving the impact and the transition toward renewable energies. And at the end of the day, they see themselves as energy companies. So they, they want to deliver the best solution to provide energy. I think that a lot of those um, protein and fat companies see themselves as protein companies and not necessarily committed to do only meat uh, with uh, uh, harvested from a slaughtered animal. They understand that uh, uh, you know we need to incorporate additional choices and new production systems for proteins. Um, and at the end of the day, if we want to drive a real impact 
over time in in a market which is so large as uh, as proteins uh, we need the big players to um to take a role and to to invest and to um to scale this industry same as with renewable energies okay and so so are these companies coming to you so yeah it really depends usually they do yes uh, actually yes they do <laughs> <laughs> so from your side since you said there's a strict vetting you are getting these bigger companies coming to you wanting to learn about what you're doing wanting to potentially work together so wanting to participate in this new solution yes is that fair to say and again we check them very carefully before we start working right. with them um yeah yeah we want to make sure they're really serious about it um and i think a lot of those companies do understand that uh, you know they can't continue business as usual and they, they need to incorporate to diversify the sources of the protein they're, they're delivering to the market. Absolutely. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about your product launch. You recently announced a cultivated petite steak, which as you said earlier, is kind of a new, is your own format of a, of a steak product. You're not trying to imitate one for one. It's, it's a new label that you're calling Aleph Cuts. Um, it'd be interesting to learn more about this. You also just announced a major partnership with Chef Marcus Samuelson, uh, the, the very well-known and well-respected well James Beard award-winning chef um, who really privileges work around diversity and, and kind of a, a broader view of the food system. Is he part of your launch plans? I mean, I know he's come in as an investor and an advisor, but can you talk more about, about how you're working with him and about your new label? Yeah, sure. So the, the first uh, round of products um, we're launching um, under the Aleph Cuts brand is a series of um, thin cuts of uh, beef steaks, which uh, rely actually on two or three celtas from bovine origin, uh, growing on a, onto a, a plant-based scaffold matrix, meaning it's a range of uh, hybrid products, plant and uh, animal cells. And we're working very hard, uh, you know, for the last few years to really make sure those products meet the requirements and the, the expectations of the diners globally, accounting for the fact that uh, food is not a functional product, especially meat. It's a very emotional product. And mm -hmm. food is an experience. And especially uh, when we talk about animal proteins, um, the, the emotional connection is very strong. And... And working with chefs to develop the right uh, to give life to our products and develop the right uh, positioning, but also the right uh, the right format to to create this connection is very important. And the reason why we selected Marcus Samuelson and he's he's really a great guy mm -hmm. because we want to work with the chefs who are partners for uh, driving the. Initial acceptance of our products and helping us positioning it, uh, developing the right key messages, developing the right uh, culinary approaches, and to uh, um, to promote uh, our specific value proposition. So we do see them as partners, chefs in general, Marcus and other ones we're working with. And and it's important for us uh, uh, to convey quality, uh, but not uh, not to introduce our product as an uh, kind of uh, luxury, um, inaccessible food, meaning we're very cautious not to work with uh, you know, the three Michelin stars, um, exclusive chefs 
were disconnected from uh, from the ground. Uh, what we really liked about Marcus uh, Samuelson is that a lot of his values are very much in line with ours in terms of care, of uh, um, inclusiveness, of uh, also courage, uh, creativity. Um, he, he's uh, he's very much in line with uh, with our brand, um, meaning premium, premium but accessible. Is he linked to your your plans to visit Ethiopia? Obviously, he's a obviously very famously Ethiopian born. Yes, and and again, I'm fascinated by Africa and the thing that you know in Israel we also have a lot of uh, connections with Ethiopia and and uh, the eastern uh, eastern african uh, region is uh, is really um, very interesting in terms of uh, its uh, food scene and uh, economic development as well so naturally we see ethiopia as, as an interesting uh, angle for us in africa uh, so that's why I'm, i plan to go there in the, in the next couple of months yes i mean i wanted to ask you do you have children i do do they know what you do? Do they do they understand about cultivated meat? I mean, how do they see what you do? Of course, of course, they're, they're quite involved in uh, in what I do, and I, I consult them um, on many topics and get their input um, uh, a lot in my decision making process. Do you think there? Some people say that there is a shift globally with this generation of Gen Zs and and the alphas coming behind them, um, in how they think about food and 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 the and animal agriculture and how they, you know, engage with this idea that they're living in a pretty serious climate crisis. Is that something that you think? Do do you experience that? And do you think that that's going to have a change on on our global food systems? Um, yes, I do. I think that the younger generation is is uh, is very knowledgeable about a lot of um, global issues and very engaged. And um, in my views, they will be the 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 driving force behind uh, systemic changes we need to implement on the global level. What does success look like to you, as the founder of Aleph Farms? Where do you see when you look ahead? And you imagine, you know, success and 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 your vision being realized. What are you imagining? You know, I, I see a food system which um, is more diverse than today, uh, with more choices. I mean, uh, especially more diversity. To today, technically, we have many choices, but very little diversity. What I mean that we have uh, 100 different options of the same products. But we rely on uh, very few um, raw materials, very few uh, um, uh, processes, production processes. Um, the food is very concentrated, so we have a lot of choice but little diversity. Um, I, I would like to reincorporate more diversity in the food system, especially with the animal products, and to make sure that uh, um, we can uh, get back to our planetary boundaries while. Um, continue enjoying uh, great experiences with the food we eat. And I think it's important because it's not just a sustainability issue, it's also um, a well-being issue. I think food is part of uh, what we are. And going back to high-quality food and putting the focus on emotions and experience is also important, away from uh, ultra-processed and uh, um, industrialized uh, um, 
uh, food products. What are your biggest challenges to get there that you face, you specifically, you and Aleph? Is it, is it money? Yeah, I think the bigger challenge is the, the amplitude of the food system. The food system is such a big industry that it's difficult to change it. You know, the, if we're talking just about animal proteins, you know, which is a subset of the food system, it's a $1.8 trillion market. Meaning that if we want to make a change in this market, it needs, it requires a lot of time because of its amplitude. You know, um, at Elephants, we, we have a target for getting to $1 billion in revenues in 2030 as a way to drive impact. Um, and technically, $1 billion in revenues is exactly 0% market share out of $1.8 trillion. So if we want to drive a real impact, um, we need to get to very, very large scale, and that requires a lot of time. And a lot of collaboration with the, the whole, whole, all the stakeholders in the, in the ecosystem. I mean, at the end of the day, to drive a change, we need all the players in the ecosystem to align their interests and to work together to make the change um, okay. Of, of, of course, it will not be just one company or not even uh, just uh, um, four or five uh, cultivated meat companies uh, driving the change alone. Yeah. One thing you haven't mentioned, though, is government policy. How much of a role do you think that plays? Big role. I think that uh, if I'm back to the renewable energies again, uh, which is, I think, a good analogy for, for cellular agriculture, no different technology in an existing market, um, which is intended to drive a systemic change in the way we, we manage uh, the ecosystem. We've seen that uh, for renewable energies to really become mainstream, it required a lot of uh, public-private partnership and governmental support, investing in scaling up those technologies, um, uh, loans and loan guarantees, uh, tax breaks, off-tech agreements. Without governmental support, renewable energies would never be would never have been able to to drive the cost down um, for becoming mainstream. And it will be the same with the cultivated meat. We really need the support for the next five, ten years until we can drive the cost down and become mainstream. Well, thanks so much, Didier. I really appreciate you taking the time and also being so open and. Um, so elaborate with your answers. That's really what I was looking for. And it's been really, really fascinating. Yeah, thank, thanks so many. Green Queen in Conversation is a co-production from Green Queen Media and Cheeky Monkey Productions. This episode was produced by Joanna Bowers and hosted by me, Sonali Figueres. <laughs> <laughs>